Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be home. Welcome to the 11th episode of The Long Awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong and joining me as always is the Canadian who loves to ask another man to grip him to release the pain, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who only offers her children a salty fried small tea bag when it's a special occasion, Michelle pierce Donovan. <laughs> Good morning. A, a salty fried tea bag? What, what? Salty fried small tea bag is what Michelle asked for in the Waiter Roadblock. Yeah. That it's is one of the weird. subtitles. I must have missed it. <laughs> I have a couple of jokes. <laughs> it's one of my favourite things about that detour every single time is they always put up stupid subtitles as to what teams have actually had to say. I don't understand the word. I think it was bird. I think bird is the word. Oh, okay. It is also worth pointing out that just like pretty much everyone in this episode, apart from Paul, I am in the throes of pain at the moment. So if you hear any screams or me saying that Michelle's got a smiley face on her top or anything like that, then yeah, just please bear with me today. I'm not in the best shape at the moment. Oh, you're getting a Chinese back massage? It certainly feels like it. Do you remember that that image of um, of the sweet scientist getting the massage in Singapore? Oh God, yes. <laughs> Imagine my face constantly being like that today and that's pretty Jesus. accurate. So previously, five teams raced to Banff, where Shane and Andrew got a head start on the other teams by braving the bull. Teams struggled on snow and ice, while Paul and Steve's winning streak came crashing down. Shane and Andrew won the leg, while it was a tearful goodbye for icons Lucy and Amelia. Ugh, I can't believe they're fucking gone. You've had 11 years to get over it. Get over it, Thomas. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Why? <laughs> He's just lost it. And teams must now travel by bus to Calgary Airport and then fly to Beijing in China. Once there, they have to find a stall on Ghost Street where they will receive their next clue. And they have 40 didgeridolaroos for this leg of the race. It is Shane and Andrew leaving at 2.02am with Joseph and Grace at 2.57, Michelle and Joe at 3.14 and Paul and Steve bringing up the rear for the first time all season at 3.29am. And then Lucy and Amelia at 6.42. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> if you didn't know what happened in this episode, just have a quick look at Joseph and Grace's first confessional and how tired Joseph looks immediately. Oh my god, he's he's actually gone downhill. He looks more tired than he did during the Cuba leg, and they were on the road for five days in that leg. <laughs> I love the unaired confessional <laughs> where Joseph is such a zombie. That he just bolts out of his chair, has his two arms uh, stretched out in front of him, and goes straight for the producer behind the camera and just says, brains, and just attacks the hell out of the producer and and has a meal. Talking of unaired things, Shane and Andrew have apparently had an alliance with Michelle and Joe throughout the entire race, not that we've seen any of it. We've only, yeah, well, we've seen it the past couple episodes since, what, Cuba? 
Was Cuba the first time where we really saw them working together? I think so. Did we say, or maybe the du- the Dubai to Istanbul leg? Did we see them align there at all? I can't remember. We definitely haven't seen it throughout the entire season anyway. But yeah, it wasn't like they said, oh, we've had this alliance since day one. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe from episode, since, yeah, since Cuba. I'm thinking, but we didn't really see anything before that. But okay, I guess we'll just accept this as being true. And Grace says in confessional that she doesn't want Paul and Steve to get to the final three as they don't deserve it. Yeah, they don't deserve it. They've won leg after leg, but they don't deserve it. I'm sorry, Grace. Grace. See reality, for Christ's sake, woman. I do have to also point out that I believe we've seen this confessional from Grace before, not with the final three bit of it, but she's definitely said that Paul and Steve don't deserve it earlier in the race. And Michelle and Joe also say something about Paul not deserving to be in the final three. That also comes up as a quote later on in the episode. Yeah, it's interesting to see it basically become everyone versus Paul and Steve now that Lucy and Amelia are out. Yeah, they're like, oh, Lucy and Amelia aren't going to come to Paul's defense. We can go back to being jackasses towards Paul again. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) One fun bit of RFF spoilering is the fact that only one of these four teams was actually spotted in Beijing at all. And that was Michelle and Joe, presumably because they're young, female, blonde and twins. But they um, they were seen asking at the airport to go to Ghost Street. That's the only reason that they were spotted in the final four. And I've mentioned my adventures in Beijing before, because Beijing was, as I've said earlier in this season, the most alien place I've ever been. Because there is no road signs in English, no one really speaks English, as Joseph and Grace find out. So, even though it is obviously a former Olympic host city and all that sort of stuff, and there's the international aspect of it now, it is a very difficult place to get around and communicate with people in. Even in the span of 10 years, because what, this filmed in, at the end of 2010? 2011. That's when it filmed? Okay. So even in what's been about 11 years since this like would have filmed, you would probably see a big difference in the number of English speakers in Beijing between then and now. I don't think you would because I went in 2018. (laughs) And it was just as difficult for us to speak to people as it was with Joseph and Grace in the space of seven years. You were there. I'll retract my statement then. Beijing was a very interesting place. It's not one I'm in a hurry to go back to, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> what are those reasons? Yeah. Well, it was just very difficult. I'm very reliant on my phone and stuff, and obviously you can't use Google Maps to get around or anything. They don't take any Western credit cards, which made everything very interesting. Gosh. When we were getting cash out of the cash machine, we weren't actually sure whether our cards would just get swallowed. The hotel room is definitely bugged, because we stayed in the Beijing International Hotel, which is... Right in the centre, it's right near a lot of the embassies, and it's basically the only hotel you're allowed to stay in if you are a Westerner. And just last week, me and my brother were discussing this, and we both came to the conclusion that that hotel room was definitely booked. Why? Just because you always felt like you were being watched. Like, Vietnam I'd gone to three years beforehand and went to again on the same trip. And it felt like we were being watched to an extent, because it is obviously still a very communist place, but nowhere near the same extent as Beijing. Beijing, because I am 6'5", because I'm very pale, we were basically a tourist attraction when we went to the Forbidden Sea. People were trying to take sneaky selfies with us. Really? My brother's very fair as well, not to the same extent as Michelle and Joe, obviously, but um, he's very fair. And yeah, we we always felt like we were being watched. We had to go on official tours and stuff with people who were definitely watching us. Wow. 
we'd arranged through the travel agent to go to the Great Wall and to go to the Forbidden City and Temple of Heaven and stuff. And we'd arranged through the travel agent to be picked up to go to the cruise terminal at like nine o'clock in the morning, I think it was. And when we got there, we met our guide and he said, right, I'm picking you up at, um, at half ten on, on Sunday to go to the cruise terminal. He's like, no, you're not. It's two hours away, potentially up to four if there's floods. You're coming at nine o'clock. That's what we've agreed. And we negotiated it down to half nine and he still turned up at ten. And then we spent four hours getting to Tianjin, which is a two-hour drive away or four in, in bad weather. Two hours of which was just circling around the cruise port because the driver couldn't find it. Gosh. And it was then two hours to get onto the ship, and we were absolutely famished by this point. We lied to our um, our guide and said we don't really eat lunch because the lunch on offer when we went to the Great Wall was so horrible. We ended up going to McDonald's as soon as we got back. And um, yeah, we were absolutely starving by the time we got onto the cruise ship. And it was that longer queue that they actually extended the lunch hours <laughs> because we only got on board at like three o'clock and had left at 10 o'clock. Also, on top of that, the visa process is a little bit opaque for China. So because we were flying into Beijing capital and leaving from Tianjin cruise port, we could get a special visa, but you couldn't get it until you got there. And it would have cost us £150 to get an actual Chinese visa and had to go to the embassy in London, which is a 400 mile round trip for us. And we didn't know whether we were going to get these visas until we actually landed in Beijing because there was no way to prearrange them. It was a very nervous wait, and then when we got to the cruise terminal, we then got kind of shunted into a side room for half an hour with all the other people who'd got these these visas to look over them again, basically. We always felt like we were being watched. It was a huge relief when we got on board the ship. Wow. So, yeah. It was a very interesting place to go to, Beijing. It's like nowhere else I've been on Earth, but it's not one I'm in a hurry to go back to. Are you going to go there, Logan, do you think? China? It's funny because I've taught thousands and thousands of Chinese students online. I know, I know. However, it's not very high on my list. And I think by the time I'm done with this Asia trip, I'll have been to a, probably at least 20 or so countries in Asia without stepping foot in China. Yeah. I think China is a very difficult place as a solo traveler. We had to prearrange everything, basically, because it's of how we are. better but, to be on a coach tour or something. Yeah, you kind of have to do it through a travel agent of some description. But it was, yeah, it was just a bit of a disconcerting place, I think is the best way to describe Beijing. Mm. Anyway, everyone's on the same flight to Beijing via Vancouver, arriving at 4.30pm, and the first taxi that Paul and Steve get into quotes some 700 yuan, which is basically their entire leg money. Good old Raminbi. Jasmine Grace's one asks for 650, which she realises is basically everything that they have, but they still take the cab. The driver isn't happy that Joseph and Grace won't pay the entire 600 yuan, and they decide to give him 500 and go. Then, it is the detour, which is waiter or wheel, and in waiter teams must take the orders of eight customers in Mandarin and recite them to the chef. Once they've served all eight customers, they will get their next clue. In wheel, teams must alternate spinning a lazy Susan and eat whatever it lands on. Once they've eaten four dishes, they will receive their next clue. What would you guys have done? I would have been so torn. Because I hear people speak Mandarin all the time at work and it's hard, so Mm. hard. And God, I I don't want to eat, but because that starfish was so big. I think I would have chosen eight though. Yeah, it's not an easy choice, this diesel, unlike most of them. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, I probably would have just sucked it up and gone with wheel. 
Yeah, I think you kind of have to and just ignore what you're actually eating and hope that your partner then doesn't spin you lamb testicle soup or duck anus spring rolls <laughs> or any of the particularly interesting ones. I mean, none of them were particularly nice. I think probably the the nicest ones on there was something like the cockroaches or the cicadas. Imagine spinning that wheel and you're thinking, oh... And and you know it's and the wheel is slowing down and it's between duck anus and the sheep testicles and you're thinking, God, I hope it's duck anus. I hope it's duck anus. <laughs> That'll be a hell of a situation to be in. <laughs> it's very I'm a celebrity. It is, isn't it? So Michelle says that Mandarin is a very tonal language, so it is a tough thing to do that challenge. And Paul gets scorpion, Shane gets cicada, Joseph gets starfish, and Grace has a hemorrhage and struggles and screams <laughs> and they switch to waiter. It's like you thought Joseph had, you know, poked out her eye with the way that she just instantly just bolted up from her chair, nearly rammed her own head into the wall and screamed <laughs> at the top of her lungs. It's horrid, that massive starfish. Are we, oh, we need to talk about Joseph and Grace's uh, taxi driver when they reached the detour. Yes, I said that they negotiated with him to go to uh, 500. But this was a bit of a different negotiation, though, because the driver starts smacking his own head out of frustration (laughs) of Joseph and Grace not having enough money. And then the very infamous confessional by Grace, where where the driver reaches into the glove box and Grace says, Oh, God, is he going to bring out a gun? Is he going to take out a gun and shoot the both of us? We're not paying enough money. And I was thinking, too, you don't. China's not really a place known for where you can just negotiate a cost. It's It would be like similar to what Western European countries and Japan and South Korea and Australia, where the pr- the price is the price. You can't, you're not, you can't negotiate a taxi fare. Yeah. And they're not going to be too, they're not known as the most forgiving culture to if you if you say you don't have money or in a bad situation not at all the difficulty with china especially is the cultural and language barrier because mandarin is very tonal you're not going to really be able to find that many english speakers even amongst the young people like if you go somewhere where there is a language barrier usually you can go to young people and they will have at least a grasp of english not really in china <laughs> And they even subtitled they subtitled the driver too saying what what is this they don't have enough money so I don't know if he doesn't get if a lot of that money goes to somebody else and he doesn't get to keep a lot of it for himself. Yeah, there's there's a significant barrier in addition to getting taxes in Beijing, I think, which is partially why we didn't do it and why we didn't organize anything ourselves. Uh, so Andrew gets the lovely delicacy of bird's nest soup, as does Steve. And I knew what bird's nest soup was before they started talking about it, but it is made of a particular type of bird saliva. That's so disgusting. I mean, how do they collect that stuff? It's not like, seriously, do they have to wait till the bird regurgitates and then they use the saliva? Like, how the hell? I'd like to know. (laughs) Any other explanation I thought of is much more gross than Michelle's. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to (laughs) know. Just somebody just sticking their two fingers down the bird's yeah. throat and just and having quickly bringing out a bucket for the saliva. That's <laughs> just saliva. doing that that's, the whole day. That's vomit. Yeah, like, there'll be saliva 
Mm. I'm going to start. <laughs> All right. How do you get the saliva from a bird? I'm going to Google that. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, edible bird's nests are bird's nests created by edible nest swiftlets, Indian swiftlets, and other swiftlets using solidified saliva, which are harvested for human consumption. They are particularly prized in Chinese culture due to their rarity, high protein content, and rich flavour. Edible bird's nests are amongst the most expensive animal products consumed by humans, with nests being sold at prices up to about $3,000 per pound, $6,600 per kilo, depending on grading. Can you imagine going into a doctor's office here in Canada, like in anywhere, and say, and the doctor's saying, oh, I see you're low on protein, you're low on iron. Uh, have, you, have you been eating a lot of saliva lately? No? Well, you should. This is so gross. When boiled in water, the saliva dissolves into a gelatinous gloop, which is apparently good for prolonging life and improving strength. Yeah, so basically they harvest them from caves, apparently. Oh my god, it's so disgusting. The more you know. (laughs) No, I don't want to know. Oh my god. What happens if a bird drinks Coke? This is what comes from talking about birds' (laughs) wind. (laughs) You can't leave us hanging on that, Michelle. You've got to tell us what happens. Well, then you guess you get some sugar along with the protein. It's extremely hazardous for their health. Well, who would have thought that? (laughs) Okay, I'm getting off Google. And we also have Michelle asking for salty fried small tea bag and Joe getting one right. Uh, Waiter. The I, I I'm glad that the waiter or the chef did not respond. Was that Michelle that said the salty fried tea bag? Yeah, it was Michelle who said the salty fried tea bag. Yeah, saying that she wanted a salty fried tea bag, and then just the <laughs> the chef being really confused, and then just follow through with it, and then Michelle say, "What the hell are you doing to me?" At least that didn't happen. If Michelle was able to see the subtitles as she was telling that to the chef, she'd be like, oh, dear God, no, 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 I didn't mean that. Is it better or worse than her asking for the I'll fuck a desert? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe there's salty fried tea bags there, I don't know. So Paul then gets another wonderful delicacy, which is, of course, a fish head with the eyes, and has to prove to his ego that he can do it. Ugh. Here Shane did his own version of the 12 Days of Christmas during the task, because he had uh, seven cicadas and six duck anuses. Or anusi. I I don't know the plural. And interestingly as well, in Grant's intro to the challenge, he said they only had to do two dishes each, but Steve does three, and actually says he's doing three. They each did three. Hmm, they do. But Grant said they only had to do two each. So what changed? Or was Mm. Grant just being an idiot? (laughs) who knows rather harsh (laughs) (laughs) and Steve's third one is of course the iconic delicacy of sheep testicle soup maybe the teams only had to do two each but they were so hungry they said well uh, I really need my calories I'm probably not going to get a chance to eat for the rest of this leg so just just throw one more dish at me I'm a little low on my iron so Joseph and Grace then struggle to memorise the dishes and they have a standoff about whether to go back to wheel and she has the interesting tactic of rapping. Yes. This is the second detour in a row where Grace is better than Joseph at a task. It is. Because as much as obviously I'm going to take the piss out of her for doing her rap, it wasn't a bad tactic. It worked. She really redeems herself from screaming at the sight of a starfish. 
it's a genuine memorization tactic. It just is a little bit silly. Yeah, turn into a song and throw in some hand motions in there. She's now the biggest rapper in all of China. So Michelle and Joe leave Waiter in first, with Paul and Steve leaving Wheel in second. And teams must now head to the Wuzi Sheng Reflection Food and Health Center and receive a traditional Chinese foot massage for 10 minutes to get their next clue. Anyone who has seen The Amazing Race before knows that they are not going to be rewarded with a proper foot massage here. Andrew's final dish is the starfish, and they leave in third with Justin Grace, leaving Waiter in last. A lot of these tasks were lifted straight out of Amazing Race 14's Beijing legs. Yeah. And I sort of don't hate it, because this foot massage is hilarious, mainly because of Michelle and Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Wiping her brow. Yeah. Well, here her her eyeliner's running and then tapping to the Michelle having a wipe. Yeah. Clean her up. Just cast your mind back only a few episodes. Michelle and Joe were talking about things being the worst thing that they've ever done and it being the most pain they've ever been in. And then you get to this episode where Joe says her masseuse is mean. Give her a Panadol morphine anything. <laughs> which has basically been my life for the past couple of days. It is hilarious to see people dealing with this challenge. Oh, I just feel the pain. I'm like, Jesus, that is just so bad. And uh, but Shane made me laugh actually when he said he's <laughs> once finished. He was he was expecting the midwife to come out. Here's your beautiful baby girl. Especially the way he cups his hands too in his facial reaction. <laughs> and Andrew looks down like he's looking at a kid. <laughs> And oh, speaking of Shane and Andrew, when they were at the detour, when they were eating, uh, Shane referred to the starfish as a little Ripper. So maybe a Kelly Ripper's son or a daughter, I guess. I, I don't know too much about Kelly Ripper's kids. And when they leave the restaurant, Joseph and Grace find out how much they got ripped off by their first taxi driver, as Shane and Andrew only paid 70 yuan to their 500. My God. I like how Joseph said 70 bucks, and Shane said, no, 70 Chinese. Yeah, knowing knowing where they're going after this and knowing how far away Mutanyu is, oh boy, Joseph and Grace are in trouble already. Because they paid, what, what would that be? More than seven times the amount compared to any other team paid for their cab there to the detour. Yeah, so in, in Aussie dollars, as of today's rate, as of the time of recording, that is 15 Aussie dollars. And they had 40 for the entire leg. Jeez. So I know that's Shane and Andrew's number. Shane and Andrew paid fifteen Aussie dollars. Joe and Grace paid one hundred and six. That's just, that's just ridiculous. To get from Beijing Capital Airport to Go Street, which is a huge twenty kilometers. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking with just sticking with the taxi van. No, because they even knew before they started pulling out of the airport, just that was pretty much all their money. So Michelle and Joe realise why the foot massage is a challenge. It is absolute torture. Shane and Andrew inexplicably arrive second and experience Michelle's glorious reaction. It's <laughs> intense. Yeah. It's so funny. I couldn't. I forgot just uh, how insanely over the top it is. And everyone's saying, oh, I don't know why people would pay for a Chinese foot massage ever. And Joe biting into the black hoodie, her veins ready to burst out of her neck. I've mentioned to you guys off air my, my dog son Ludo, and he, when he plays Tuck, stares at you in your eyes and just goes, and growls at you. It's the only time he ever growls. <laughs> and 
Joe's reaction when she's biting down on the hoodie reminds me of Ludo so much. Oh my God. I'm just like <laughs> staring at the masseuse and just going, oh, I hate you so much. You're just going to think of Joe now every time you play that game with the dog. Oh, no, I'm not because, number one, I would never try and tear the hoodie out of Joe's mouth. And number two, more importantly, she would not then try and play tug of war with me. Like, <laughs> Ludo will not give up. He he glares at you until you give up, basically. <laughs> and he there is a brilliant video of when we went round probably two months ago now to let him out for a wee and tell him he's a good boy. And... Um, he just dragged Mum around the garden because usually he's on his best behaviour when he's playing with Mum. Usually he, he plays quite fair with her. But he just dragged her around the garden because he was in one of them silly moods. And it's the funniest thing ever. I'm still so hopeful that our neighbours have got the video because it, it made me laugh at the time so hard. You don't think Joe would do that with you, Mum? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> but the other thing that this challenge reminded me of is a little bit before this season aired and... Um, Zev and Justin in the wax parlour and Justin threatening to punch uh, the Brazilian masseuse in the face. Oh yeah, an unfinished business. Yeah, like if if Michelle and Joe could have got away with it, they would have absolutely punched these masseuses in the face. Yes, I believe Joe, one of Joe's quotes is, your smiley face sticker is just a, it's just a front. <laughs> that is actually the episode title, uh, you have a smiley face on the front of your top is the episode title from the catastrophe that is Michelle and Joe getting a foot massage. The the funny thing is, like, the whole parallel to to giving birth, we also see with with Michelle offering to hold Joe's hand during the massage. Hold my hand to, to release the pain. Yeah, I think I did that to my husband um, during childbirth. I think he basically lost his hand. <laughs> Oh, and the funny thing with Joseph and Grace in the in the cab right after they finished the detour, Grace just casually says to Joseph, I think China has been the hardest one yet. And Joseph says, we just got here. We've only been here for half an hour. <laughs> We've done one challenge. Well, that's how hard it is, Joseph. And it gets worse for Joseph and Grace because Grace pulls her leg out in the first minute and has to start again and is the only person who actually bails on this challenge. What? Grace has a low pain tolerance? Yeah, who'd have thought? <laughs> and screaming through the pain, Michelle and Joe leave in first, and teams must now find the Marco Polo Bridge and count the legendarily impossible-to-count lion structures to get their next clue. Steve and Joseph then start gripping each other to release the pain. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite funny, that scene. And they're biting on, on their hats too. Yep, but the funniest thing about this is Paul saying to Steve, you got to push yourself, otherwise you don't get results. And Steve telling him to go stuff himself, and then Paul not even reacting when it's his turn. <laughs> yeah, everyone was, I bet you, so many viewers were waiting for Paul to have some sort of yep. reaction or a scream or just a really high-pitched yelp. Would have been hilarious and awesome to see, and probably would have been played on a repeated loop forever for some of these other teams. But Paul does not give them that satisfaction at all. I know we've said this earlier in the season, and obviously we'll probably get to this a lot more next week, but Paul and Steve are very interesting quote-unquote villains because they don't really get a comeuppance. Like no. you, you go into a challenge like this going, oh, finally Paul's going to crack, we're going to get some weakness out of Paul. And he just doesn't give it you. He didn't even bite down on his uh, fist like Shane did. No, it's super interesting that Basically, Paul has zero comeuppance throughout the entire season, despite being 
obviously a bit braggy. So Joseph and Grace have about 75 yuan left and are dropped off at the Marco Polo Hotel when the meter shows 87. And the concierge says that it's 50 minutes by taxi from there. So this is the thing that I contacted Lucy or Amelia about that they also relayed the question to Grace, which is how the hell did they get from the hotel to the bridge? Because when I typed it into Google, I think, wasn't it like 25 or 30 kilometers away? It is six and a half hours walking or 30 kilometers. It's 29 and a half kilometers. Yeah, 30 kilometers, and they would have had their bags. So the obvious question is, they didn't have any money, and we didn't see them take any form of transportation other than walking on foot. So how the hell did they get to the bridge? And after the hours of operation, which is 7.30am, they still haven't been seen by any of the other teams. And looking at Joseph in the confessional after the leg, he is absolutely dead on his feet. They end up falling asleep on the way to the Great Wall of China. I think they walked for six and a half hours to get from that hotel to the bridge. And I think that the real hero in this leg was whoever was holding the camera for them for six and a half hours. (laughs) God, I didn't think of that. I think they bailed into a taxi for a good chunk of it. Because we didn't see that much footage of Joseph and Grace walking. Not like it would have been the most compelling footage to see. Yeah, because also bear in mind, Beijing is the only city in the world to have hosted both the Summer and Winter Olympics. In December, when they filmed this, it won't have been warm. It will have been pretty cold for them to walk six and a half hours. So yeah, this was the infamous question where Grace left Lucy or Amelia on red and never responded uh, if they did walk the entire six and a half hours with their bags, which probably made it a seven hour walk. And especially when this was, this like started at nighttime and teams and teams waited at the Marco Polo Bridge for quite a while until it opened. And they all three teams completed the task there before seeing Joseph and Grace. So, so it probably did line up that they walked all of it, if not most of it. I think they probably did walk it, which is nuts. Obviously, you can't say that they uh, that they gave up when they were willing to do that because I don't think I don't I don't think Kim and Donna would have done that. God and... no. I think most teams on the American version, I don't think, would have bothered to do that. Yeah, and you know the fun thing about a counting challenge like this bridge one? The fact there is nothing to say. The pillars. (laughs) The the pillars. (laughs) Teams struggle because there's more than one lion on certain structures and more than one side to the bridge, Shane and Andrew. But like, there's nothing to say because Joseph and Grace are so out of it by this point. Yeah, there was really only two things. One, Shane and Andrew and Michelle and Joe work together. And the fun- and the other thing is, I think when Grant's talking about the bridge, he says, oh, at the Marco Polo Bridge, it's uh, locals say it's impossible to count the number of lions in- on this bridge. And I'm thinking, well, how does production know they have the right count if it's impossible to count? So did they just happen to break several centuries of nobody being able to figure out what the count for the Marco Polo Bridge is? Well, when we're obviously going to get to this, but the Temple of Heaven, which ends up being the pit stop or the Forbidden City, when my brother and I went there, we had our guide taking us around, and there's a particular thing near the exit of the Temple of Heaven where it's like a mound that the Emperor used to stand on and watch the sunrise. However, the Emperor used to 
face south and watch the sun rise. <laughs> Obviously, the sun does not rise in the south. Hmm. So my brother, being a pedant as he is, asked our guys, Jason, oh, how did the emperor watch the sunrise if it's in, in the south? And I think his answer was something like, oh, the emperor just said that it was um, that it was south where the sun rose and nobody could disagree with him. Right. Yeah, it, it's one of those ancient myths, I think, where it's like, oh, yeah, nobody can count these. It's probably the case that an emperor said, oh, nobody can count these and nobody disagreed with him. And then Michael McKay descended from the heavens and correctly counted the number of lions <laughs> on this bridge. And he's like, oh, 446, got it. That was easy. Now, it won't be easy for Joseph and Grace after they spend seven hours through the night walking here, but I got it. Did you get the same number too? Yeah, yeah, four, 446. And after teams do get 446, they find out it is a roadblock, which is who can crack the warrior code. Going back to something I said a couple of episodes ago, I do really like that this season has teams have to pick stuff like roadblocks right before they get to the location so they don't know what they're actually doing. It's something they do throughout this entire season, and it's super clever because it really throws people off. Because usually in more modern seasons, they just look around the corner and see what the challenge is and then pick people. Yeah. But you can't do that if you're 80 kilometers from Mutanyu, which they are. Yeah, the only way you know is once you read the clue, you can't just say, oh, so that's what everyone's doing. Okay, that makes it so much easier. What the hell's the point of the hint? So in this roadblock, teams must take a taxi to Mutanyu, and one team must pass through nine rows of warriors to get their next clue. Only one warrior in each row will let them pass, and if they are blocked three times, they must go to the back of the line. Paul, Joe, Andrew, and Joseph do this roadblock. This is, of course, the point where I say Mutanyu is the section of the Great Wall of China that I went to. I was being deliberately vague when I said Great Wall of China earlier because it is the Mutanyu section that I went to. Mm. It is also fucking steep. Yeah, it looks it. I believe my Facebook status at the time was bloody hell, the Great Wall of China is steep. <laughs> because I think they did it on an actual far away bit from the entrance of Mutanyu because you kind of got a an undulating bit is the best way to describe it for a good mile and a half. And then it goes to a really steep section, which I took a picture of, and you can probably see it if you look on my Facebook later. And I think that was probably the bit where they did it, which is super mean, because those those gradients up there were probably about 30 to 40%. Jesus. It's not an easy walk. And I was absolutely shattered <laughs> climbing those steps. I love this challenge, though. How good is this challenge? This is the sort of challenge you can't really do anywhere else. And I know Amazing Race Asia did it somewhere else, Logan, but you can't really do a challenge like this anywhere else other than the Great Wall of China, I don't think. Yeah, like when they did it in Season 4 of Amazing Race Asia, they did it in a random flat field in South Korea, I believe. This one is a beautifully thematic challenge. And it's also super mean for the teams because Mutanyu is not the most well-known section of the Great Wall of China, number one. And it is also 80 kilometers from Beijing. So it's a good hour and a half away at least. And it's the last task after a very stressful night and day traveling around China. And furthermore, it's colder than usual. Not, well, I guess warmer than Banff, but cold by Amazing Race standards for a typical leg. As well as the fact as the steps being super duper steep and you're doing this in the penultimate leg. So all of that factors in to it being a much tougher task to do than just going through the middle of a flat field in South Korea in the middle of the season trying to do this. Yeah, I love this challenge because it is so spectacularly nasty for them to do it to them. In any modern Amazing Race, they would not tell them to go 80 kilometers out of the city and then back in again. 
but I like that they're nasty enough to do it here. <laughs> not to mention there is the added dilemmas of, do you keep your cab? Do you let go of it? Because you're not, not in a place where you'll, you'll find too many cabs or legitimate cabs, as we will see Shane and Andrew try to get a cab into back to Beijing, where the guy just puts a taxi sign on top of the car, as if he just found it at a prop store. <laughs> yeah, and going back to the steps as well, not only are they steep, but you can see snow on those steps. Yes. It is not the most health and safety focused challenge of a season, this one. So Shane and Andrew try to use their connection with the girls to get to the Mutenu section, but the girls then burn them. Yeah. Oh, this this is when Shane and Andrew become the most well-liked team of the season because it's no longer, oh, we you know, we we really want Mason Race Australia to finally have that first all-female team to win. After one season. After one season. Although this seemed to be their best shot at it. And and then you have Joe saying, You go, you know help him. <laughs> just the way they were talking to the cab driver you know talk to other guy <laughs> and Paul gets two strikes immediately but then goes all the way to the wave four Michelle and Joe arrive thinking they're in first but then see Paul and Steve's bags and they are only five minutes ahead of the girls at this point that's, that's the other crazy thing is Michelle and Joe saying oh we're totally first our cab driver got us straight here what the team who left the bridge before us got here before us to the Great Wall of China what? Who Who's writing this episode? M. Night Shyamalan? How did we not get here first? We left there in second and we got here in second? Like, what the hell were they thinking? And Joe echoes a sentiment that I thought when I got to Motenu, which is I didn't realise how many stairs there were at the Great Wall of China. But it's in, it's on hills. It has to have stairs. I know, but you don't realise how many stairs there are and how steep those stairs are. Yeah. Because me being competitive, as may have been brought up on these podcasts before, me and my brother basically got a bit competitive as to who could go higher on the Great Wall of China, and it ended up just knackering both of us for the rest of the day. <laughs> I obviously won, and I got one step higher than he did, but that's beside the point. <laughs> just one step? He couldn't yep. do one more step? I mean, this was a staircase that was about 30, 40 degrees, and we both ended up getting to about halfway up it before going, ah, fuck this for a game of soldiers. Jesus, Michael, we wouldn't be good together, honestly. We'd, we'd, we'd die. We'd die up there. Yeah, we would. <laughs> we'd go all the way to Inner Mongolia. We would go to Mongolia. <laughs> An interesting interesting thing with Michelle and Joe betraying Shane Andrew too is I think it's Shane who said, are we, are we the Stooges or what? And so they go right back to having that quote-unquote dumb cops label considering just how, eas- how easily they were screwed over by Michelle and Joe. And curious timing for Michelle and Joe to choose to screw them over then, because yeah. nobody had seen Joseph and Grace yet. So you got to figure that the three teams know they've got at least an hour up on Joseph and Grace, well, and possibly more given that they didn't even see them during the night either. So why use that moment to screw over Shane and Andrew. Bad decision. Yeah, it's a terrible decision. And obviously it then just makes Shane and Andrew more likable. The hilarious thing about Joseph and Grace is that they get into a cab and decide to beg for money once they get there, which kind of hinges on there being lots of people there and it not being December. Because I think we saw about five tourists total when they were at Mutenu for the entire four teams. Yeah, it was, would have been probably late morning on a Wednesday in December. Yeah, it's not the most simple place to find people who are going to give you lots of money. 
especially as you know, it's a long round trip. It's 70 kilometers out and 70 kilometers back. Wouldn't you have tried to get money before you got in the cab? Yeah, obviously you would. You'd go to a tourist location, like say the Marco Polo Bridge, and try and ask for money. Because that's what Joseph and Grace also had the strategy backfire on them in Vancouver, where they lost quite a bit of time begging for money. And then to a more extreme extent with James and Sarah begging for money at the pit stop location where there was nobody around except for a cop car. Where they ended up getting overtaken. Yeah, and eliminated because of it. And here, Justin and Grace are repeating mistakes we've already seen this season when it comes to begging for money. And then even Joseph throws out the idea to Grace saying, you want, you want to wait to beg for money there? What if there's nobody there? And then Grace insists, there'll be thousands of people there. <laughs> it's, a, it's the Great Wall of China. And Joseph, because he's in a complete zombie state, says, okay. Well, that's her naivety. The Great Wall of China is massive. It's got so many sections. You don't know which section you're going to. Yeah, and, and like I said, the Mutanyu section is really impressive, but it is not the most famous bit of the Great Wall of China. The most yeah. famous bit of the Great Wall of China is probably battling where they end up getting taken. But they can't take them to the famous bit because they have to block up quite a bit of a section of it. So, you know, it's got to be one of the out, outlying ones. When I was booking the China bit of our cruise the travel agent actually specifically said to me we're including the tour to Mutanyu because it is one of the most visually impressive bits of the Great Wall of China and it's less touristy than the main ones so it's hilarious because until I was actually doing the planning for that trip I didn't realize that I was going to the same bit that um, Amazing Race Australia 2 did but also having done some research last night they weren't making it easy to find this bit of the Great Wall of China it's not in the middle of nowhere but it's in a a reasonably quietish bit mm. of the outskirts of Beijing. And in fact, the the horrible lunch that I mentioned was actually just down the road from Mutanyu because I don't deal well with spice and they gave us the spiciest meal I've ever had in my life and we did not eat much of it. <laughs> my um my husband went to China as a child with his family and they went somewhere out in the country. I don't know what they called the country in China. The back of beyond. Back of beyond, yes. They had a meal and they had they brought something to the table. And it was actually a monkey's head and the head pulled off oh. and they could have some of the brains in there. So this is something that's indelibly inked on his mind and he can't get it off. So, yeah, food in China, scary. Yeah, having said that, the same trip as my China visit, we were in, uh, in Ho Chi Minh City and got taken to a market where they were selling dogs for food which really, really upset me because <laughs> mm. these dogs were in cages and whining. And yeah, I, I had to step out of the market because I, uh, I was a bit upset. Poor thing. So naturally, Paul leaves the roadblocking first and teams must now find the Forbidden City, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The first three teams to arrive here will advance to the final leg. The last team to check in for the first time all season will be eliminated. I should note that Michelle and Joe also do an unnecessarily... Bit of a low move at the roadblock as well, because which one of them did it? Was it Michelle or Joe? Uh, it was Joe. Joe. So when Michelle is weighing with Steve, they're striking up casual conversation right at the start, where Michelle says, oh, uh, Steve, when did you guys get, uh, get here? And then Steve says, oh, we, we just got here. And then Michelle instantly screams that out to Joe, saying, Joe, you, they just got here. You can overtake them. So she just used the casual conversation as like a cheap little advantage for them during the task. 
And then Paul and Steve still see Michelle and they've gone back to seeing Michelle and Joe as their strongest competition because Paul says they always seem to teleport to wherever <laughs> we are and they always seem to catch up no matter what we do all season. It's like rubber banding in Mario Kart. I think it is very interesting as well from a production standpoint that this season goes to so many of the infamous sites in their respective countries. Because if you think about it, the Forbidden City is the one place that you probably want to go to if you go to Beijing. You've got stuff like the Hotel Tropicana in Cuba. You've got Le Cordon Bleu with France, mm. which is obviously a fairly iconic location. Obviously, they would have rather gone to the Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe. But I think you can certainly make an argument for something like Le Cordon Bleu. They have planned this season so beautifully in terms of the locations. Because even stuff like the start point being right in front of the Sydney Opera House, or with the Sydney Opera House visible behind them. Like, that is super cool and super well planned for them. And it's something that people don't really think about with this season, I would say. Obviously, people focus on the insane amount of travel. And in fact, this leg is the the one with the second highest amount of travel in the season, I think, after the France Cubone. But you don't really think about how good they were at covering the iconic locations of their respective countries as well. That's not something people talk about as much. No, yeah. And Paul lies to Joe on the way out about whether he got the clue, and she leaves in second. And they reuse the same taxi driver as he's quick, unlike Shane and Andrew, as theirs took them on a wild goose chase. Paul and Steve's driver overshoots the Forbidden City by a kilometre, so they have to run it. And that means that Michelle and Joe checking in first, and they win 10,000 didgeridoloroos cash. Paul and Steve then checking in second. Andrew gets the clue in third. And there are no cabs, and locals offer their private cars. Scary. But they have to take a real taxi, don't they? Well, they say it in the episode. They have to take a real taxi. They can't take a private car. And that's always been an Amazing Race rule just for security reasons. It's funny that we've made fun of Shane and Andrew for always getting to bad cabs all season and thinking, oh, they don't seem to really travel around the world as much in taxis or ride them in general. But... They avoid a catastrophic mistake by getting into a private car that they think is a taxi. At least they were able to have it, be able to recognize that, especially when the guy essentially pulls out a marker, writes down taxi on a piece of paper and puts it on top of his car. <laughs> I'm a taxi now. Yeah, I think production would have stopped them getting in that car purely because Joseph and Grace were so far out of the way. And in fact, they were about 150 kilometers from Mutanyu when Grant stopped them. They were so far out of the way the production genuinely wouldn't have been able to do the final leg with three teams if Shane and Andrew got into that cab or into that private car. Because I think the private car penalty is 24 hours. Jesus. I think it's basically a DOA penalty, is getting in the private car. So they would have had to run the final leg with just Michelle and Joe versus Paul and Steve. And boy, (laughs) would the fans have loved that. So Joseph and Grace fall asleep in their cab and are taken to a different part of the Great Wall, Badaling, in Inner Mongolia. How far away was that from where they were supposed to go? Well, it's 150 kilometres from Badling to Mutanyu. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Grant stops them when they're in Inner Mongolia. So they've actually gone further than Badling when he stops them. Uh, Because Inner Mongolia is, is even further north. It's, as the name suggests, the bit of China that ends up bordering Mongolia. But... Yeah, Badaling is probably the most famous bit of the Great Wall. It is certainly, if you are an Olympic tourist, the most famous bit of the Great Wall because it was part of the road cycling route for the Beijing Olympics. They actually had to 
go through the gates at Badaling a few times. I think it's seven times they did a, a lap of Badaling before going to the the finish line. But yeah, they were a fair way away from where they were meant to be. Grant would have had to take a long ride to actually Grant eliminate them. Wow. Just wow. But it does lead to one of my favourite Grant Bowler quotes ever, which is, you have in fact travelled to the wrong bit of the Great Wall, and in fact, travelled to Inner Mongolia. <laughs> You've gone to another country. But can you imagine Michael McKay going, where the hell are they? What do you mean they're out there? Grant, get in a car now. <laughs> like, it's a genuine security risk for them. Because they, yes. they were stopped, and Grant had to basically pull the taxi driver over and say, let them out now, please. I would have loved to. It's too bad that Joseph and Grace never did a behind-the-scenes thing for the whole, you know, from pretty much when they left the detour through to the end of this leg. Because I'm sure there was there had to be quite a bit of intervention to not have them keep driving on the road. Yeah, it's super interesting how Grace especially has been such a big character this season. For a loss of the wrong reasons, arguably, but such a big character of the season. And they just disappear in this leg. They don't get any content, basically, outside of really, really badly screwing up with their taxi at the start and really, really screwing up with this taxi at the end. Yeah, because it's still the same taxi driver when they get pulled over at nighttime. So I don't even know. I, I, I guess the driver just could not find Muten Yu and wasn't willing to admit it. And then... Joseph and Grace can't switch cabs because they have no money. They'd have to try and find a way to pay this driver after four or five hours of driving around before they could switch to one. And if they were to switch, it would be the only time they could have switched was would probably be at Bad Ling. Otherwise, when could they have found another cab? I think they're so tired as well. They just can't be damned. They're just tired and, and I'll just take me where, where it's supposed to be and didn't even think that, well, it's not possible to be that far away from where we did the last challenge. And on top of that, because of how knackered they are from walking for six and a half hours, they fall asleep in the cab and are just taken further and further away. Yeah. And they probably would have kept falling asleep as the driver. I don't even want to know what would have happened if production let Joseph and Grace play out the rest of the leg. To 12 hours later, oh, we're at Mutan Yu. Uh, you now owe me... <laughs> what? You don't have any money and I drove you around for 12 hours? I think this glove compartment will have a gun this time. <laughs> so next time, at the end of the race, a grand finale. Paul talks to the hand, teams head to Brisbane, and one team will walk away with a big chest of cash. Did we talk about the pit stop greeter? So cute! He's like six. <laughs> My god. No, he look, he's like four. He's so small. It's kind of hilarious that Reality Fan Wiki has a listing for this creator as a Puyo impersonator, but no listings for the rest of the season as to who they were. We get a listing for this one and then nothing else. Oh, he was impersonating the really young Chinese emperor that was that had the movie? I presume so, yes. So cute. And I just want to know, do you think Paul had it ready? Do you think he had the line ready or yes. do you think he thought of it on the spot? He had an hour and a half cab ride to Musenyu. There is no way in hell he didn't think of the Great Pole of China there. <laughs> so good. Do you guys want to eulogize Joseph and Grace? Oh, wait, I have one more other thing to say about the like the last clue. I don't think it got directly quoted where it was the clue and then there was a Confucius says bit for the pit stop. You, you didn't see that? No, I wasn't paying attention. I was in I was in like full my back is in agony mode yesterday when watching this episode, so Okay, so when they get the clue after doing the roadblock, it has Confucius says, go here. I think I did a screen cap of it in my blog several years ago. 
and I'm guessing that it wasn't quoted in the episode because I wonder if it almost came off as mildly offensive to do the whole Confucius says bit. Yeah. Because that's not really, that's generally frowned upon as a joke now. And I think even then when they, when the episode was all set ready to air, they didn't show anybody reading the Confucius says dot dot dot. Instead, it's just, oh, go to the Forbidden City. Yeah, it was go to a particular temple in the Forbidden City. But yeah, you can clearly see it on the a parchment, though it had Confucius says. Hmm. So do you guys want to eulogize Josephine Grace? Oh, God. Well, I hope she's learnt from life in general and she's not the same. Hopefully she's not the same as she was then. Yeah, I don't think she is. She's, she's what, Jeez. 10, 11 years older at this point. You'd hope she isn't the same Brooke Assault-like person. I forgot how much better she was at some of the tasks compared to Joseph near the end of the season. And how, and how she had more energy than Joseph. Granted, somebody out there is going to say, oh, well, that's because Joseph did more in general for the team. But Grace, by the end of it, seems a little bit stronger than Joseph. And I am amazed that they did not throw in the towel at any point during this leg. And it was nighttime. Because I know Shane and Andrew finished several hours behind Michelle and Joe and Paul and Steve. I think I think they finished like four or five hours behind them. It was ridiculous. And to think that even after that, Joseph and Grace hadn't even reached the roadblock and still had another humongous drive back into Beijing. And they still hadn't even quit yet out of pure frustration or exhaustion or both. I am happy to say that I was wrong about Grace at the end of the season. She did a lot of those final few tasks very well, mainly the skiing and the the waiter task. But... She was, sadly, for most of the season, a bit of a petulant child. She really was the Veruca Salt. And what else? there was one other observation. Oh, we didn't have as many quotes or... Com- we didn't really see any, conf- any more confrontations between Grace and Paul. I think Paul only had that confrontation with Joseph uh, at, the ca- at the ticket counter in Cuba. We didn't really see any direct confrontations after that. That's what I mean, like... Think about how much of a big character Grace was in the mid part of this season in terms of causing fights with people. She just disappears in this episode. Like, we don't see any of her. It was, well, right as soon as Sarah is eliminated, she really fades. Yeah, like, the last major confrontation she has is trying to beat Shane and Andrew to the um, to the Bucking Bronco task. We don't see anything, really, after they leave Banff. Yeah, it's a bit interesting for just how much they were building up her character and then building up the rivalry with Sarah, and then neither of those two teams even makes it to the final three. And then Grant's, oh yeah, when they were being eliminated, I noticed, or rather when, no, when Shane and Andrew were checking in, Grant's voice sounded rough when he checked them in. I think Grant had been outside for quite a few hours. At that point, he probably found out how far away Joseph and Grace were, and he's like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've got to drive for two hours just to get to them. Ugh. <laughs> You would think that impacted the filming for the final leg. Yeah. Actually, no, wait. Shane and Andrew did talk about that in their interview, that they had an extremely short pit stop, I think. Yeah, because they, they're on a flight to Guilin during the pit stop. Yeah, because I think production told Shane and Andrew, if you take more than, any more than 15 or 20 minutes for this leg, you won't be in the finale. I think that's what they were told. Yeah, because they were so far behind. Wow. Yeah, and they said, yeah, because it was, they said, we have to get on, we have to start the final leg. If you take more than, I th- may, have, may have even been less time, may have been 10 minutes or so, but I think they pretty much 
checked into the pit stop and then checked out. <laughs> so, have you got anything else you want to say about this, like? No, I'm good. Good, good. No, I think we pretty much covered everything. In that case, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia recap. We'll be back next week to recap the final episode. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. I can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logs of Quacky. Michelle is spare 3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-3-